we're all doing very different things. So the thing about our major is that it's called recorded music, but it encapsulates a lot of different aspects of the music industry, including performance, business, production, songwriting, performance, kind of everything in one package. Welcome to Unlocking College Life. Real talk about all things college. The best part of this podcast is that your voice is part of the show. Other students care what you have to say. So through your questions, your feedback, and your real talk, we all grow together. Let's dive in with your hosts, Joy and Alona. Welcome back to Unlocking College Life, everyone. Alona and I are joined today by a really incredible student. This is Shaneda, and she actually goes to school at New York University and is studying music and has really created a incredible life for herself in the music industry. And we were just talking a little bit before we jumped online. I said, it would be great for you to talk a little bit about how you got there, because there's probably a lot of folks out there that are like, well, I could never do that. And she said something, well, I don't even believe that I'm doing it. So (laughs) why don't you introduce yourself a little bit, and then we'll sort of dive a little deeper. Hi, everyone. My name is Sineda Ng. I am a sophomore at the Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music at New York University. And I'm originally from Toronto, Canada. So international student, not that far, but I live in New York now. I live in Brooklyn and I am an artist, sound architect, creative entrepreneur, futurist. And I'm really interested in things like philosophy and mental health and diversity and inclusion. So I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much. Welcome, welcome. There's so much that we want to sort of pull deeper on. So where do we even begin? I would be curious, sort of very briefly, how did you get here? Where did you notice these interests and how did you know what to pursue? Yeah, well, knowing what to pursue was probably the easiest thing for me. I started playing piano at the age of four and I was classically trained. I went to a conservatory program growing up and I did all these competitions and exams, whatever. So all my life, I knew that I would be going into music. It was kind of the only thing that I enjoyed doing, even though I excelled in most subjects in school, but music just had that special place in my heart where I actually enjoyed doing it. And I knew I could enjoy it for the rest of my life. So that's where I got my interest in music. But for a long time, I really wanted to be a concert pianist. And, you know, it's hard. It's hard to be a concert pianist. There's only one or two people who are ever really successful. And so it was a really difficult time. And it was very competitive, especially in high school, or like even before high school, I would go to competitions and I think that takes a lot of toll on a person. And I always say that people used to kind of call me like a child prodigy in piano. And I hate that word because it implies so many things like, oh, prodigies are just naturally talented and they're just able to excel in all these things. But the real fact was that I was practicing every day for three to six hours after school I had no life outside of school and practicing piano. So that's just how it is. And later on, I started exploring other options for music. I did have quite a traumatic incident. We can talk about that later. But 
that kind of made me shift focus towards creating music and writing my own music rather than playing just other people's music. And that really helped me open up a whole new world. It's, I consider it a meditative practice now. It's very spiritual for me. So yeah, that's kind of where I got for the music. Yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, if you're willing to talk about that event that shifted things for you, that would be, I think, very important because that's ultimately how you also got here. And I was thinking practicing for so long and so many hours a day. I mean, that's also pretty grueling. And before you even said, spoke about this event, I was thinking, how do you sustain passion for that? When we pursue things that we're passionate about, then it doesn't feel like work. So I'm curious how that was for you. And then perhaps it leads us to that event. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, I started out as a kid. I didn't know what passion was. So a lot of it came down to my parents who pushed me pretty hard. They were very supportive, but they also pushed me very hard to do my best. And because I was a fast learner, I was able to pick things up really quickly. And so they saw that and they really pushed me hard. But as the years went on, I actually started liking practicing. I started liking spending time at the piano. It was just, so I don't play anymore. Now that I'm in college, I don't have a piano here, but I do appreciate the time that I had to spend with myself and the music because it's a very special and intimate thing to do, to spend hours sitting in front of a piano by yourself. So I think my passion actually grew as time went on. And then when I was 16, I went to competition. Actually, this was before that, 14, when I was 14, I went to a national competition. It was my second time. And I was pretty confident in my chance that year of winning. And so I was playing the Chopin Piano Concerto Number no. 1. And we drove all the way out to Quebec, which is where the competition happened. And when I got on stage, I was feeling pretty good. And then as I started playing, I think my brain just froze up. And I remember stopping about three minutes into the piece. And then I was just staring at the piano for a whole minute. And I was wondering if I should run off of the stage and cry because (laughs) that was really embarrassing. I mean, there were people watching, people were videotaping it, the judges were sitting right there. And my accompanist was sitting next to me. And I sat there for about a minute. And then I tried to and my accompanist kind of kept playing and I couldn't come back in or anything. And he finally stopped playing as well when he realized that I wasn't playing. And we just sat there in silence for a bit. It was absolutely horrendous. And I was like, get it together. I just want to finish this piece. I came all this way. And so I just started wherever I could. And I just kept playing and playing and tried to use my muscle memory to take me to the end of the piece. When I finished, I did get to the end. And then I ran off stage and cried. And I came in last obviously. (laughs) And that was one of the most traumatic experiences for me. You know, after that, I couldn't go on stage, which was a really big problem as a concert pianist. And I had incredible stage fright. Every time I would go on stage, I would mess up the piece. I would have a memory slip and forget just like that time that I did at the competition. So that was really tough. And it went on for about two years. Can I interrupt you just for a minute? Because this is like a fascinating story to me. And it actually reminds me, I was on a different podcast and we were talking about this concept of failure. And so it's like, it's almost as you're describing that, that's what that feels like. You did such hard work. You were driven by yourself and your parents that like, 
I don't want to make an assumption. That's why I wanted to ask you this. But it mm-hmm. sounds a little bit driven by perfectionism and that there was no option to like have a mess up. Yes. I just wonder if that was more internal, if that was your parents too, or if there were also people saying, it's okay. Everybody messes up, even on stage. There seems like there's such a tension there when you're such a high performer. And like this is something that we talk about a lot in the college environment, no matter what someone's expertise is. So yeah, I just was curious like how you process that, maybe now looking back on it. I am still a perfectionist, very much self-driven, and that's something I'm trying to work on right now. But yeah, back then, I really didn't have, I didn't go to therapy. I didn't have anyone telling me that this was okay. And it kind of felt like the end of the world because that was my life. That was my career goal. And then suddenly, I just couldn't do it anymore. I still tried to get on stage I had to, actually. I didn't even have a choice because of conservatory program. I still had to get on stage every semester and do my mandatory performance, and I would mess up. And I would know that I would mess up because at some point, I just accepted it. And that's actually when I started to grow from it. So that helped me kind of get back into music, but now with a different approach with creating and songwriting. Say more about that. Say more about like how it shifted, because that doesn't sound like a simple shift. Yeah, well, so I was in high school at the time and I started looking into other careers in music because I knew I still wanted to work in the music industry. And I came across, I think it was like an article or something. I was just looking up jobs in the music industry and music production and audio engineering really caught my eye because my dad is works in IT. I grew up around computers and technology. And so I've always had a special interest in technology and science. And so music production sounded really cool to me. And I started digging into how to get into it. I had GarageBand and I would make my own tracks on there. And I started learning from watching YouTube videos and I fell in love with it. I realized that creating music is so special because you're kind of using your own language to talk about these things that really interest me instead of when I was a concert pianist, you know, I would play all these pieces by old white dudes and I wasn't really connecting with it, even though I tried really hard. And so it was nice and refreshing to actually write my own music. I really, really love that sort of finding your way to express yourself in your own way. And I'm just so happy for you sort of returning back to music in different forms, but from that stage fright and being frozen and what sounds like what followed after that episode. I mean, what a way to do exposure on your own accord. Yes. Well, can you talk a little bit about the college environment now for you and how that integrates obviously with your work and your artistry. And we also know you're at NYU, which isn't exactly a place that's not a high achieving kind of like hotbed of... Oh, it is. Yeah, right. So I just wonder like, how does that all fit together now? I guess a good place to start is actually when I was deciding to go to college all through high school, I wanted to go to Berklee College of Music in Boston for music production. They have a great program there. Everyone knows about it. And in 11th grade, I actually went there for a summer program and I realized that I hated it. It was so competitive. It reminded me of conservatory and I loved the people there. I loved the environment. I loved the classes, but it was just the competitive aspect of it just wasn't for me. And so I started looking at other schools and that's how I landed on NYU. I actually had a friend 
who got into Berkeley, who applied to this program, to the Clive Davis Institute. In our environment, it's a lot smaller. Our classes are like the people in my year, in my program, there's about 60 of us. We're very close knit and we're all doing very different things. So the thing about our major is that it's called recorded music, but it encapsulates a lot of different aspects of the music industry, including performance, business, production, songwriting, performance, kind of everything in one package. And so most of us have different focuses and areas that we're particularly good at. Um, A lot of us perform in different genres even. And so we're not directly competing with each other. And that builds a really great environment for us to support each other because it doesn't feel any of us are taking away opportunities from other people. And so it's really great. I'm really glad that I have such a supportive community within my school. And of course, our faculty are very supportive as well. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I think that's really cool that you're able to name that, that there's something about not being in direct competition with each other, that there's a different element to that. Because we've talked or I've talked with a lot of the students that do the performing arts at Michigan. And sometimes when they talk about the competition and the performative aspect and the competitive aspect, it it sometimes almost sounds like sports, even though they're totally like diametrically different in so many other ways. I remember, so I don't know, there was that element, there's like the performance part that is such high pressure, in addition to like, sometimes that competitive aspect. Well, and here in Michigan, the School of Music, when we talk to students, it is super rigorous music theory. It's uh, students carry heavy load. I don't think they would ever identify it as sort of easy. So it's interesting dynamics. But what I'm also hearing from you, I love the different aspects of music, right? That there's producing the business part of it. It seems like that's what would sort of connect you together, would be wonderful networking and also hopefully prepare you for life after college. Yes. So I am curious because you, I don't know that we looped back to this yet, but you had talked about, and I don't know if you consider this a connection with the mental health part. I think you do. You had talked about that your work now is actually more meditative or spiritual. I know that's probably hard to put into words, but can you try? Yeah. So it's a pretty recent shift. I was writing for a while. I was writing a lot of singer-songwriter stuff, kind of Taylor Swift-inspired albums. I have two EPs out. And those are more of my early works. And now I'm working on more instrumental, experimental, and electronic works. And that really interested me because there's so much more to say, I feel like, without words. And that's what really interested me at first about creating music. It's language without words. And so every morning I wake up, I do meditation and yoga. And then I will start my day. And sometimes if I need a quiet moment to just recharge and reflect, I'll pull out my digital audio workstation, Ableton, and I'll start making music in there. Whatever comes out, comes out. And I I kind of like that more because it doesn't strive for perfectionism, which is what I used to do. I would spend hours going through the tracks and fine tuning everything and making everything perfect. But the one take kind of what I feel in the moment has really been a theme in my creations recently. What have you noticed? Like, is it different? Is it has anyone noticed a difference in what you produce? It's Yes, it is quite different. I think I used to try to fit a certain sound that I thought people would like and people saw in me. And so I was really creating what other people expected. But 
when I started throwing that out the window, I realized that a lot of my pieces are pretty intense. Some people say it's kind of unnerving, and I really like strange, kind of quirky sounds that make you kind of jump. And I think that has a lot to do with the anxiety and stuff that I've gone through in the past. Because now I'm sort of also shifting towards making that and also meditative music. So really calm, ambient pieces that also reflect my more calm state of mind. I really, really love this because you can please everyone. I was listening just the other day. It was on radio. I'm pretty sure it was Shawn Mendes, right? And they were asking him sort of when he puts music out what his process is. And he talked about how he used to just throw songs out there. First of all, probably not the smartest idea because people could pirate that probably, but he would throw it to a lot of different people. And of course, a lot of different people had a lot of different opinions about it. So now he still bounces ideas, of course, of his trusted people, but it's maybe a couple of folks and then it's just good enough. And then it goes. Yeah. And I think it's a really important lesson to learn, accepting that something is good enough because especially with art, you're never done. You can spend forever. You can spend a lifetime working on a piece of art. But if you never put it out there, and this is something our professors say, if you never put it out there, nobody will ever see it. And that kind of defeats the point. So even if it's not done, I try to put some stuff out there. It's a work in progress. And my art is my life. And my life is always a work in progress until it ends. So I think my music is pretty reflective of that. We talk a lot about authenticity and sort of really expressing yourself exactly as you are. So I love what you are bringing up. And I'm sure Joy has thoughts on that, too. And I would be curious if there is more you have to say about how you got there, because that's not easy. That's not easy to really let go. A lot of therapy. Yeah. So is that I mean, I guess maybe that's a good question, because thinking about the listeners out there for someone who might really relate to your story, but has never been in therapy. I don't know how normalized therapy is in the music world. Can you talk about what got you there? Yes. So I was pretty depressed in high school. I started noticing it when I was about 13. And so for a while, I kind of tried to figure it out on my own. Eventually, I did have a suicide attempt. And I ended up in the emergency room. And it was really a strange time. You know, I was really young and I didn't know exactly what I was doing, to be honest. And after that, my parents were, okay, yeah, we're bringing you to therapy. So I started going and I hated it. I did not have a good therapist and I was too young to realize that. And then I stopped going, but I continued to explore these issues. It started giving me the vocabulary to understand, oh, I have depression and anxiety and this is what I should do about it. And this is how I can think to combat it. And so I started working on those by myself. And then when I got into high, uh, when I got into college, I knew that I wanted to go to therapy. I honestly recommend therapy for everybody. I think it's something that people overlook because it's so important and it gives you a new perspective. It helps me realize a lot of things about myself that otherwise probably wouldn't have thought about. So yeah, I definitely recommend therapy for anyone, especially artists, because you're dealing with a lot and it's a lot to process. And I think the art is part of that processing and acceptance. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. And yeah, I wonder if you have or what advice you might have for 
students who might not be quite where you are because your confidence is so high now. And Alona was saying authentically yourself, whereas you wouldn't have said that 14 or 15. And so what would you say to someone that might sort of thinking about this, but they're not quite there? Sort of looping back to what I said in the beginning when you were like, I can't even believe I'm doing this. What would be helpful in terms of what would you have needed to hear? Go ahead. Honestly, I heard something the other day that I have been holding really close to my heart. And that is actually, just remember that, I mean, for me, I'm still a kid in college. That's what someone said to me. And that made me realize that we still have so much time. I'm so young and I'm already doing all these things. I always feel this overwhelming pressure from myself to be ambitious and driven and passionate and to do all these things before, I don't know, I always say that I'm impatient and I always feel like I'm running out of time. So it's kind of me trying to get ahead of the game, but sometimes you just have to slow down and realize that you're still a kid. There's a lot of time. If you're in high school and you think your grades and everything, high school is the end all be all. When you graduate from high school, you realize that it's not. And it's just, you don't even think about it anymore. And it's kind of silly when you look back and you'll laugh at it. And I'm sure once I get to my adult years, I'll look back on my college life and be like, that was kind of silly that I even worried about these things. So just remember you're a kid and enjoy your time. Take it slow. Yeah, it's like perspective. Sometimes we even ask ourselves that. Is anything that we're doing that important? And sometimes it feels like it is. It's like we have to actually step away from it, either literally or mentally, to be able to even have that perspective. And I think that actually takes practice too. What you just said sounds simple, and it's really not. Because you know what it feels like to feel like no, this is so important that it's going to wreck my life or something. And then so, but now you've been through a lot and you're able to see it differently. And it doesn't mean that you're still not working super hard. It's just, you have perspective. Yes. I am curious, did you talk about, because you do DJ work. wonder if you would say a little bit about that. I do, yes. Currently, after I shifted to more electronic experimental music, now I'm looking at going back to playing live. It has been a few years ever since I moved to New York. I haven't really performed live. And then really a few weeks ago, I was at an open mic with my friend and I finally got on stage for the first time in two years post-COVID. And honestly, I didn't think the performance was that great, but I enjoyed being up there. And I didn't think about that when I was up there. And that made the experience great. People enjoyed watching it. And I enjoyed being up there. And I think that was the most important thing that I learned from that. And so now I'm getting more into performances. I want to DJ at some underground clubs and events, art galleries. And yeah, that's kind of what I'm working on now. Yeah, you like embodied the process instead of the outcome. Yes. I have a friend actually who also performs at that open mic. And she always says that she doesn't listen back to videos of herself because she doesn't really care what she sounds like. Whatever she sounded like in the moment, that's what it was. And I think that's beautiful. 
Totally. Well, I think we're coming up on the end of our time today, but thank you so much, Janita, for sharing all of your stories. I don't know if you have sort of last thoughts that you might want to share with folks. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. If anyone wants to reach out, you can find me on Instagram at XOXO. That's S-E-N-A-I-D-A-X-O-X-O. I'm on Instagram, Twitter. I have a YouTube channel that I talk about some college stuff, and it's just my name, Sinead, all caps. And you can also find my music on Apple Music, Spotify, wherever you listen to music. And yeah, I'd love to connect, chat. My DMs are always open. So shoot me a message. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And good luck with all of this. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much. And we will talk with you all next time. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review us on your favorite pod platform. Share with your friends if this is making you think about and participate in college differently. We want to hear from you. Connect with us on Instagram and let us know how it's going. This podcast is not professional advice or replacement for therapy. If you need professional advice, you should find it with professionals in your area, such as your primary care physician or therapist.